I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. The, the last couple of years, whenever I'd put out an informal call for guests for this podcast on Facebook or Twitter, one of the more frequent names to come up is that of Christopher Chung's. He's uh, one of the more popular writers in the city, known for his writing on urban issues, whether it's in the Tai Now or previously at Metro or the Vancouver Courier. He's someone of Vancouver who writes about Vancouver in a way that uh, cares about the city and where it's headed. He knows the city, and having that sense of history adds to his writing as uh, he talks to people who face challenges like those posed by a pandemic or who are underrepresented in the discussion often had in the mainstream press. I'm a fan, and it turns out yesterday when we taped this interview, the National Digital Publishing Awards recognized Mr. Chung with a nomination in the category of Emerging Excellence. I asked Chris about his work, about the city he covers, and about the recent stories that have been his focus in this pandemic year. We talk about food, as well as the need for greater representation in the media. Chris was uh, interviewed as part of a very fine series that the folks at uh, CBC Radio's early edition did last week, produced by Steve Zhang. Check out um, Stories We Live, Representing Asian Voices and Faces, on the CBC's website, and uh, visit ChristopherChung.net for a selection of some of his finer pieces, as well as photography, whether it's about Baklava Man or Duffin's Donuts or news on the recent plan to redevelop the uh, Joyce Collingwood neighborhood. He's got not just a keen eye for people that we see in his writing, but his photography is excellent. His Twitter handle is at ByChrisChung. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Christopher Chung. Mr. Chung, good morning. Hello, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, how would you uh, describe your beat at the Taiyi? I mean, what, what are some of the, the, if you had to explain to people what you cover, I mean, is there a certain subject, is there certain subjects that you, that you usually cover, say? Yeah, um, I guess the, the, the fancy phrase to describe it would be the sociology of the city, mm. but I guess a lot of people might not know what that actually entails. So I guess, um, you know, stories about people, people in special places, um, you know, where are people living? So where are diasporas living? Where are rich and poor people living? Um, who has power in shaping city building decisions? And I think, um, yeah, as someone who grew up in Vancouver, you see that postcard image of the city mm-hmm. um, a lot pushed in a lot of publications. So, you know, you know, Mount Pleasant, like a really cool hip place, downtown Falls Creek, condo towers, and um, yeah, sometimes I see in the covers there's this attitude that everything else is like this, you know, suburban wasteland. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really want to highlight that, like, hey, you know, we, we have a lot more texture in the city than, you know, you might think of. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it, in, in terms of, you know, top-down power too, right, Lo? So when do authorities fail to serve um, certain people in certain communities? Um, and then the bottom-up side of things too, like how people are resilient to try and make a life here regardless of where they might be, you know, left behind in, say, policy. Yeah. So early on in the pandemic, um, we would hear from from other people that um, this was something that was affecting nearly everybody. And and, and over a year ago now, you you were one of the first people that I saw online trying to to quickly dispel the idea that um, the, the pandemic was affecting all of us equally. Um, a lot of the inequities that, that uh, we've seen living in Vancouver, because you know, it is a, an expensive place to live in, um, these have been exacerbated because of COVID. 
And, and so what are some of the things that you, you've been looking at or, or, or paying attention to or covering over the last year or so that, that um, I guess we need to look at, that we need to think about? Yeah, um, I, I get asked often, you know, how uh, I think the city might have changed in the past year. And I feel that really not too much has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, rich are still rich, poor are still poor. And, um yeah, there's this assumption that we are all in this together, even though we have accepted there are certain inequalities. But, uh, you know, uh, not everybody can work from home. Um, there's still people out there working. They might not, um, they might be worrying about, you know, not getting a grandparent at home that they live with infected or their roommate safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, safe six is this thing that was talked a lot about last year. But what happens if, you know, you have a larger household and it's much more than that? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, a year ago, you know, of course, there's, there's nothing wrong with people celebrating um, healthcare heroes, which I heard a lot about, you know, the 7 p.m. cheer, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt like there was a lot of other people, too, um, who are on the front lines, who are doing a lot of, um, you know, really heroic work, like janitors who are keeping all of the places that people still go to safe, for example. Um, so those are the people that I really, really wanted to highlight who might not be, um, yeah, getting as much attention as, as they should in the mainstream. Yeah. And the other thing that you, you, you've um, written about over, over the last year or so especially, um, about public spaces and, and the importance of, of those. And I'm not just talking about, you know, um, um, parks or, or town squares, if, if you will. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the, the restaurants. I mean, you... you, you uh, Talk to uh, Stanley Woodvine um, about the things that, that that a lot of us take for granted. You know the 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 um, the, the, the space in the mall or the, or the food court or the um, I guess he he likes to hang out at the McDonald's there at Granville and Broadway or, or the, um, the the Tim Hortons there on Broadway uh, by the hospital. Um, these things are, are you know largely been closed off over the last year or so. Um, mm-hmm. And and that affects a great deal of people that, that we otherwise wouldn't think about. Yeah, um, you know the academic term is like you know third space, right? So the the place outside of work, outside of home that people will spend time in. Uh, and I think um, yeah, sometimes we you know we think of it in that narrow definition of oh it's it's just like a business, right? Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of times this is where life happens. Um, you know Stanley Woodvine, you mentioned um, he's this writer who is homeless in Fairview in Vancouver. Um, so for, for people like him, you know, something out of McDonald's, which, we, we, you know, in some people's eyes, it's just, you know, it's it's just fast food. It's, yeah. it's not really something, um, you know, we don't really think of that as like a city piazza or anything, right? Uh-huh. Um, but for somebody like him, right, you know, you, you can you can get weather protection. Um, it's warm. Um, there is Wi-Fi. You won't get asked to leave um, if you hang around there for a really long time versus you know, maybe a fancier coffee shop. Sure, yeah. um, and I remember there was a there was a piece in the Guardian that inspired me that was called, um, "Yeah, don't sneer at McDonald's. It's the glue that holds communities together." Um, and yeah, you know, it is, uh, you know, places like McDonald's or Tim Hortons or food courts and malls. It's yeah, it's it's a lot of places where life happens just because you know, for people, it's it's not there's not that huge barrier of access um, to be able to go to that space and spend time in. Um, so I think, yeah, places like that are really, really important because, you know, even if it doesn't fit the um, the traditional form of what we think of might be like a community square, mm-hmm. um, it, is, it is an indoor place. It might be tucked inside a mall, but it still occupies that same role in what it provides to the community. 
Another thing that you've covered over the last year or so is, is um, the the tragedy at the Little Mountain Place, and 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 for people listening, this, uh, I don't think I've ever talked to, talked about this before, but my my dad is there, and he's been a resident there for over a year now, and so I you know I followed the the what was happening in the news you know closely, um, and um, I was rereading the piece that you wrote I guess back in March, um, talking to. Uh, the young woman whose grandmother uh, uh, was one of the the uh, almost 100 uh, people who died in the facility, and and um, you seemingly just listened to, to to her talk about her grandmother, and, and as she poured out her grief, I, I found it just just um, moving to read and, and um, informative, obviously. Um, it, now, I in, in full disclosure, I don't know. Um, anything that's that's been happening there or uh, you know I, I don't even visit my father there um but but there is a story still there isn't there i mean uh, do you think that there's more that needs to be told about what happened there over the last year definitely um and i think that's the thing like i'm not a you know if you read my work you'll see i'm not really like a hardcore investigative reporter um uh-huh. and the woman i interviewed um you know bernadette Chung, same last name as me, and not related, but we grew up in the same neighborhood, too. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, she's been interviewed a lot as well, um, but I, you know, because I do, um, you know, working at a place like the Thai, I do have the luxury of taking a little bit more time with my stories um, and, you know, giving her the space to share more about, you know, who is who is her grandmother, and because seniors in care homes have been hit so hard in the pandemic, um, you know, it, it really is just this classic story of like you know who are, who are these people that we are losing and so um yeah for for bernadette sharing she was saying how her grandmother's love language was touch uh-huh. um you know someone who gave a lot of hugs someone who um did a lot of like crafts with her hands volunteered at a local community center um and with COVID, you know this was the love language that was taken away from her um and then seeing how over the past year communication was you know became so much more stilted whether it's you know, just online, um, and she is, um, you know, she can't hear very well either, and so meeting her at the window, um, it, it was very, very hard to have any kind of um, meaningful like conversation. Right. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I just really wanted to highlight, you know, who is, who is it exactly that um, people are losing at a time like this, and um, that, you know, that home is not a specifically Chinese care home, um, like some of the ones run by success. Uh-huh. But that cultural aspect is really important, too, um, that language access. And for me, um, my, my great-grandmother, she was at a um, care home that was not, um, you know, that, that was not specifically Chinese. Mm-hmm. And I remember her being just absolutely, absolutely miserable with the meals because she'd be eating things like sandwiches, and mm. she would barely touch them. And so after we checked her into one of these homes, her health had just, you know, deteriorated. So... For me, um, yeah, just I think this is a, a time to revisit like what exactly should be part of senior care. Um, yeah, to to have to yeah, like I felt that she really didn't have. Um, she was kind of lost her former self when uh, she was checked into a place like that. And so whenever we would bring her, um, you know, like you know, homey Cantonese dishes, she uh-huh. would just light up, light up, and eat all of it, yeah. right? And so. Yeah, it was it was very sad for us to see you know, over the years her um, you know get into that state. And then in this piece in particular, when you when you talked to, to Bernadette Chung, um, it, it added um, so much more to the story in terms of that that we knew uh, her grandmother. It was more than just say another statistic. 
because I mean mm-hmm. that, that's what we were following day after day was just watching this number go up, right? Yeah, um, and uh, I think Bernadette herself had said, you know, like it, we would have at least liked to know if how how bad the outbreak was, so that uh-huh. we could have a choice, um, you know, to whether or not to take her out or or, or to mm-hmm. leave her, um, yeah, still living at the care home. What what is it like for you to to, to talk to people? Um, uh, because you, you you seemingly get to these people to, to pour their hearts out to, to tell you about what their work is like, their family life. Um, is it um, does it take long for you to get people to open up to you as you do? Um, I, I, there's this writer that I really like, um, Gay Talese, and mm. he he said he calls um, journalism the kind of journalism he does the art of hanging out um and so i I really try to approach a lot of my interviews in that way rather than um you know i'm going in there i'm going to extract information and leave um but maybe because you know again i have that luxury of doing longer pieces but um yeah i I, i'm really upfront with people about hey like you know we want to tell um you know in this case we want to tell your grandmother's story um, you know, any memories that you have, um, things that really show, like, who she was as a person, um, how you want to remember her. Um, so I think by prompting people to let them know that, like, hey, like, I'm not just here to get the facts about, um, you know, what was it like to have a family member in this care home and, you know, how, what was the management like? Um, just letting them know that I'm much more interested in, um, I guess, the human aspect of it. Uh, and usually people are quite open to sharing. Um, I've I've had people who go on really long rants uh-huh. about um, their personal life, and they say, oh, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Like, is this even <laughs> going to go in the story? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, maybe because, you know, feature writing is something that is slowly um, disappearing, and they might not know, you know, why, why is it important for me to know if a restauranter, um, you know, lives in a house with 20 of his relatives, um, right? Um, something like that, I, you know, once somebody shared with me. Um, but I think all of those, you know, details, it, it's um, – it, it really connects you to that person. And, and my goal as a, as a journalist, you know, I really want people to get to know their neighbors in the city. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, through through those experiences and through that writing is, is a way that um, I, I try to do it. So you, you've got, um, this is one of the things that I've admired um, uh, about your work over the years, is you have such a keen eye as a writer. Um, but then, you know, I look at your, your photographs on Instagram and, and, and other posts that you've made and, you know, these, these photographs that you, you, you take that accompany your features on the Tai, uh, you have such a keen eye as a photographer as well. Did, did you see a connection between the two? Um, so I've, uh, I mean, I, I always think that if, if I'm there, I might as well take the photo, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it's, at journalism school, they tell us, like, you've you got to be able to know how to do everything. You've got to have the data skills. You've got to have the photography skills. Um, and so I, I, I guess I was primed to um, do that kind of work, but also mm-hmm. I, I've always just enjoyed doing that when I was younger. Um, I, uh, you, you know, in high school, I lived in this neighborhood where um, everybody in high school, as soon as they turned 16, they would take the end test to be able to drive their parents' cars uh-huh. uh, and they'd be able to buy lunch <laughs> during their breaks. Uh, but I, I ended up failing my road test um, six times, and uh-huh. so... I got I, I was driving a lot later than everybody else, but because of that, I ended up um, busing a lot and doing a lot more exploring of the city at a slower pace. Um, you know, this the Canada Line wasn't around at that time, so um, yeah, you really had to, you know going to Richmond, for example, was more of a trek. Um, so I think that really helps with um, yeah the kinds of things that I like to um, yeah observe and put into my pieces. 
So there's a photograph at the top of your website that I just, I just love. It's a, it's a marvelous homage to, to Herzog, obviously. It, it, it's the one um, in front of the old um, the, the Ted Harris paint store, I guess, on Hastings and Heatley. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that was kind of an accident that it turned out looking like that um, Herzog one of uh, yeah. winning for, the, I think it was 14 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's just a, a beautiful shot, and I've, I've been, I was staring at it for for ten minutes last night, and and um, <laughs> is that someone that that because I as I said I look through your Instagram, um, when you take pictures of the city, do you think of of, of someone like Herzog in mind in terms of of um, that you're, you're taking more than a picture, say that you're trying to capture something? Yeah, um, I've yeah I've been. I, you know, an editor at the Thai David Beers, he, he turned me on to a lot of, um, of I guess what you would call like you know art photographers, people like yeah Herzog or um, Greg Girard, um, you know oh, Joe yeah. Myrit, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people who shoot in that street tradition. So I've, I've been trying to be be a bit more fancy and trying to take artsy stuff like that. But um, yeah, a lot of it for me is just it's just for um, that documentation you mentioned because the city changes so fast, right? And if, you know, looking at a lot of pictures that I have taken, you know, you, you can't really go back to some of those places and recreate it today. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I like having that little snapshot of, uh, of that moment of, of what the city looks like. A lot of your writing also um, uh, finds association with, with uh, food or, or memories of food, which um, is just fun for me because, um, well, we all like to eat, I guess. Um, there was one piece, I can't remember what the piece was about now, but you were talking about, um, it was just Oak and 22nd, 23rd area. And uh, it was a, it was a different issue altogether, but you, you described the area by uh, talking about what was there or what's there now in terms of food options. And um, right away, you know, without having to Google map it, uh, I, I figured out where you were. Um, what is it about... Um, this writing about food, I mean, it, this is something that's connected a lot of readers to your work, hasn't it? I mean, pe- people love the, the piece about Duffins, or the, they love um, uh, Baklava Man, and, and um, you know, uh, the, the piece that you did on, on Bubble Tea, for example. I mean, I was seeing that shared around a lot. Um, do you think people are just hungry for, for, for talk about food as well as food? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everybody's a food a foodie nowadays, but uh, I, I think it's um, because it's so universal, right? It's something that's easy to, easy to connect to, um, and I'm I'm interested in, you know, anybody can write a piece about um, a certain kind of like food culture or a certain kind of cuisine, uh, but I'm really interested in how it manifests um, in a very specific way in in Vancouver, right? You know, Duffins Donuts. It, yes, it's a Donut shop, um, in but you know what does it mean that it's in a sea of donut shops that are Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a uh, it's a donut shop in the Los Angeles style of, of donut shops, um, you know places that are run by Cambodian um, immigrants and refugees, um, which happen to be the donut, Duffins Donuts owners, um, and so yeah, that, I mean they had they have things like you know pupusas at Duffins Donuts, and so um, it was interesting to me how um, you know this this family's um, uh, I guess their their travels, like in North America, um, let them to you know pick a little bit of food from the places that they visited, uh, and then bring it into that particular shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that as as I think you know immigrants come over here, um, they you know there is the adaptation sometimes of recipes, 
um, to suit, you know, a local taste. But it's, um, yeah, like, for example, Soho, which I wrote about, well, my favorite restaurant, which had just closed, like, during COVID, it was done in this tradition of, um, you know, it's a, it's a Hong Kong cafe. Uh-huh. We have lots of Hong Kong cafes in Vancouver. Um, you know, the history of this kind of cuisine is when, you know, Western food in Hong Kong was very out of reach for people who are more working class. And so Chinese people just decided to cook it on their own, um, even if they didn't know exactly what went in there. And it just became a, you know, a new kind of fusion cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see it as kind of the, the opposite of chop suey. Like this isn't, um, you know, Eastern food for Western taste, but this is Western food for Eastern taste. Yeah, yeah. And I was just so fascinated that the, it turned out, uh, like complete coincidence, I didn't know this, that the, the chef um, who opened Soho, it, it was his family business, um, but he used to work in a lot of like Vancouver hotels, like Bayshore mm-hmm. Inn. Um, and yeah. so he was taking stuff. He was making like you know puff pastry, like salmon Valentine, um, you know lobster bisque with like a puff pastry on top. Yeah. He was taking all of that and adapting it for like the you know this Hong Kong cafe. So I liked how yeah, like over a people um, life course, they're picking little bits of their own experiences and creating something new. And I like that a place like Duffins or a place like Soho really is like. This is the only in Vancouver version of it. This is not, you know, a Toronto take or like, um, uh, yeah, or, or like a California take for Soho. Like this is something that could only happen here. Is there a favorite neighborhood of yours um, in Vancouver that that if you just landed and say that that you you'd like to just walk around and eat through? Uh, I've got to say it's um, the uh, Fraser between like 40th and. Um, like 51. Mm. There's just so much there. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's managed so far to be ungentrified. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you can get it. I mean, there's, there's Korean, there's old school Cantonese, there's Hong Kong, there's a, um, like there's a Japanese bakery that, op- you know, that's one of the more recent things that opened there. There's Brekka. Um, and, and there's so many, uh, little grocers as, as well. Like I love going to, the Fruticana over there, um, yeah, that's so. That's probably my absolute favorite. That part of Sunset. The, the other, the, the other um, stuff that, of yours that, that I love reading these pieces that you've done with Dorothy Wooden over the years. <laughs> um, the, the two. So for people listening, it's the two of you would hang out or go places, uh, and and a, a marvelous piece of writing would come out. Um, I, I guess because of the pandemic, um, those have been put on hold, right? Um, there was one about which shopping mall we would hide in. <laughs> because, because Dorothy yeah, yeah. is uh, our film critic, of course, right? And, you know, there's a grand tradition of, like, hiding somewhere during the apocalypse. Yeah. And we were raiding local places for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, so there'll be more of those, hopefully, in the future? Yes, yes. We have one coming up. Um, it, it's a fashion one. I won't say anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, well, well, we'll await that. Um, you're... Um, Easily one of the more popular writers in this town. Your writing, obviously, as I mentioned already, has struck a chord with readers. Um, do you think that has a connection to, say, representation in the media? Um, you spoke uh, last week to Steve Zhang about, uh, at the early edition on, on CBC Radio about uh, Asian representation in the media. And, and you know, so, you know I'm, I'm thinking that some of the stories that you've written would not have been stories that journalists a generation ago, say, would have covered. Um but I, I guess they were brought to the fore because, partly because of your background, whether it's um, being Asian or just a different generation altogether. Do, do you think there is a connection there? Yeah, it's just um, you know when you see 
your particular reality not reflected in media? I think that's one of the things that really drives me. Like, it's not really something that I set out to pursue as a mm-hmm. mission. Um, but when I see a place like, you know, oh, why are we um, writing so much about, you know, farmer's markets, for example, well, you know, community building, local food, local production, um, it, you know, an all-ages thing, um, you know, really pro- promoting, like, sustainability in the local. You know, I, I, you know, very exciting. People write about it all the time. Um, but what if the form changes? You know, what if we're talking about something like Crystal Mall? Lots of local producers, um, you know, tofu is made there, fresh noodles are made. Um, it's It's got a wet market. It's senior friendly. Um, all of the produce is local. There is a lot of diverse food. It is affordable. You can buy you can buy you can buy produce for less than a dollar there. Um, so it's like you know a place like that. It hits all of these values of things that we are talking about in Vancouver. And yet, because the container is not with something is not something that people are used to, mm-hmm. it might be dismissed. Um, and so yeah, I'm really just trying. You know, these aren't new places to people either. Like it's not like I'm discovering. Um, restaurants or malls, like these are all places that are highly frequented already, like Duffins or or Crystal Mall or Kingsgate. Um, but it's just it, it doesn't really have its um, time in the sun, I guess, in terms of um, mainstream media. Uh, and but when there are times that it does, uh, but sometimes it is act it is written in a way that is oh this is a new discovery, um, or it misses the mark of what a place might mean to people. So. Uh, I can imagine somebody writing about um, the block of Filipino businesses in Joyce Collingwood and just being, we're losing these restaurants, um, and that's about it, right? Like, I've seen that story written a lot, but they don't really have the time to expand on it. Uh, maybe it's just like a deadline thing. Sure. Um, but it's like, you know, what does this mean for people's routine? What does it mean that if by St. Mary's, um, and then after a baptism, people might go there to buy food or um, because it's by the SkyTrain, right? This uh-huh. is where people from the entire Metro Van region would be able to go and pick up food for the entire week and then hop back on the train again. Um, so I think getting that meaning into pieces as, um, as, as accurately as I see it actually being lived, is, is, uh, it is a goal of mine. Um, I urge people to listen to, to the series that Steve did um, because there's a lot in there, and, and um, otherwise we'd be spending the entire afternoon talking about it, um, you and me. Um, in terms of, of how um, the Asian experience is covered in the media, you, you talked about that in, in the series um, with Steve. Um, what do you think needs to happen in terms of... of um, uh, say a better media landscape. I mean, I guess representation is that is that the first thing that needs to happen. You know, diversity in in, in who gives us the news or who covers the news. Um, on both fronts, for sure. But I, I was just talking with somebody the other day. Um, recently, it's flared up again. This issue about um, foreign money, uh, foreign buyers, mm-hmm. is it is it racist and all that. And I found these um, three pieces uh, from The Guardian, from Mother Jones, from The New Yorker. It was all about foreign money um, and Chinese buyers, but they did not interview a single buyer. So we've had these three like really serious global-minded publications coming to town, but they did not interview any buyer. Um, so we have no idea who these buyers are. They have no representation. Um, it's just shaped by um, an expert. You know, expert is fine. Or um, it was it was also interviewing people on the ground. So it was just the neighbor complaining about who's moving into their neighborhood. But we have no idea, you know, why are people moving here? Um, what is it that's, um, that's attracted them to here? What are their challenges coming here? Um, and so I think by, you know, if people are going into that, um, you know, 
with this boogeyman um, frame, right? And automatically it's just like, oh, yes, there is this other that's coming in to invade the city, but we never actually get to hear from them. Um, so, and I, I see this, you know, often in other pieces as well, usually quicker coverage, writing about some quote-unquote like ethnic community, but not actually ever interviewing somebody from that community. It might be like an expert or some kind of outsider. So I think at the very first step, like this is just this is just a journal, like a part of journalism, right? Like interview the people that you're writing about. Mm-hmm. And, and and so do you think? Um, I, I know that that's something that you're thinking about as you cover stories. Um, do you think the rest of the media will get hip to that? Get get what to that? We'll, we'll get hip to that and 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 say view it as you do say. Um, I think so. It is. Um, it's a, it's a slow process, and uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it takes training, it takes time, and, you know, for the people like me, I mean, for, for the people who are of, I guess, my demographic growing up in that part of the city, nobody I knew really pursued this kind of a career. Um, a lot of my friends are, um, you know, nurses or they work in accounting. Um, and, yeah, I guess as as a person of color, like, not every every one of us would want to, say, like, write about our, our culture, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. Uh, but for those of us who do, there is this responsibility um, that's just given to us as being that cultural broker, um, and that's that that's a very very tricky role, and that's a mm. lot of weight on our shoulders to yeah. try and do a lot of that translating between um, you know one culture like for the mainstream. Um, so hopefully, I'm I'm hoping you know over time as as there are um, more and more people like me who are interested in this, um, whether they are a um, you know person of color or not, um, that things will begin to change. Um, I was going to ask you about wh- why you chose journalism as a career. Was it, was that something even as a kid that you wanted to do? Uh, no, it was a complete fluke. I, <laughs> I I had always thought I was just going to teach English because I like to read and I um, did English lit in university, but I, I somebody just suggested it to me and I applied um, on a whim. I, I got in. I also got into the education program. But I was like, yeah, this sounds this sounds like the more adventurous thing. I should I should give it a shot. Um, so I did that. Uh, I got into the school, and then I I had I don't I didn't even read the news before. Uh-huh. Um, I so I I was like I should probably get some experience. So I I emailed every paper in town asking if they would take me on even for free just to like learn. Um, and everybody said no, uh, except for this one editor at the Vancouver Courier, Barry Link, and mm. so. He just welcomed me on board, and he's just like, you, you can just start writing. And so I, I literally just started writing based on what I thought journalism was. And, um, I, yeah, and that was seven years ago, so I've stuck around ever since. Did you see yourself staying in the city? Yes, I, <laughs> I, I, I cannot imagine that. I mean, for my, yeah, for if it was just up to me, I can't imagine myself leaving. But all my family is here, too, so I wouldn't, wouldn't leave them either. I had Tyler Olson on the show earlier this week, and 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 um, I asked him, you know, the same question about why he chose journalism mm-hmm. and, as a career, and and uh, we had a, we laughed a little bit because he he wondered if it was ethical, say, to even recommend it to young people nowadays. Is is it something? I mean, I'm sure people <laughs> ask you all the time if if it's something that they should pursue. What do you tell them? Um, I feel like like I I haven't been at this for very long, uh, but there have been some crazy changes, like publications, you know, being. Uh, going on there completely. You mentioned they, the courier, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The courier is gone. I used to have a column in Metro as well. Metro uh-huh. is gone. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a really rude awakening uh, as somebody who's entering this industry. But um, there's also a lot of 
new publications popping up too. Like who would have ever guessed newsletters were a thing? Yeah, um, and now everybody yeah. loves newsletters. Um, so I, yeah, for young people, I'd say, you know, because all of the toys are really easily accessible, like play around with it. Um, I have a number of colleagues who came from student papers. Um, they didn't get a traditional journalism degree and, um, you know, they're in it today. Um, but I, I see a lot of coverage just on people doing projects. So, um, I think there was one about someone who walked every street in Vancouver and they oh, put yeah. it up online and, and then the CBC did a story on it. So I think it's really easy to, Come up with some kind of passion project, um, give it a life online, um, on a blog or whatever, um, and then see what happens. So, um, yeah, just just play around with the, the tools that are available to you. Being being a journalist, I mean, of course, um, being in my position, I get to interview, you know, say a politician if I wanted to, right? Uh-huh. But but really, a lot of the time, I don't have a magical media pass that I would, you know, I can't just go into Pampangas and wave my media pass and be like you must talk to me, right? Like <laughs> Anybody really can do um, a lot of that storytelling, um, even even if, even if with people in their own life. So, um, yeah, it's, it's free. Go try it out. See if you like it. Um, I'm a big fan of your work, and um, I, I so appreciate your time today, uh, Chris. Uh, uh, I hope uh, you, you'll, you'll deign to come on again because I'm just, just I'm looking at the clock, our time has whizzed by, and there's a lot more that I'd like to ask you. So thanks for this, and, and all the best. Thanks so much for having me. You can read uh, Chris Chung regularly in uh, the Taiyi. The website for more is uh, ChristopherChung.net, and, of course, his Twitter is at ByChrisChung. Christopher Chung, join me on the line from here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.